everybody, and welcome to yet another edition of the Time Out with DG podcast. I am your host, Daniel Gotera. Thanks for stopping by. It's episode 86, and it's January 14th. The Houston Texans are once again looking for a new head coach. Hope you guys are having a fantastic week. It's been an eventful one. January 13th, when the Texans fired David Culley, well, that's become a date of note here in Houston professional sports. In 2020, the Astros fired manager A.J. Hinch and general manager Jeff Luno after the sign-stealing investigation results were announced. In 2021, the Rockets traded James Harden after he pieced out on the organization, basically quitting on the team. And now in 2022, the Houston Texans have fired David Culley. This episode, all about that. My guest today is sports radio personality Mike Meltzer. I've had him on before. One of the smartest guys in sports radio that I know. I really enjoy talking about sports issues as a whole, but especially when it comes about the Houston Texans. He's got some great perspectives on it. He is my guest today to break this thing down as the Texans fire David Culley after one year, a 4-13 and campaign, which wasn't going to be any good anyway, but the Texans have moved on from Cully. But before we get into the meat of this podcast, I want you guys to like and subscribe to this thing. If you haven't done so already, what are you waiting for? Um, Last episode, I detailed my uh, battle with COVID or my interesting start of 2022 as COVID has really wrecked shop in our family. (laughs) And by wrecking shop, I mean we've all been affected by this whole Omicron variant. I am currently in quarantine at home. I return to work next Monday. Very much looking forward to that. Not that I don't like being at home because I love being at home around the kids. I've actually had some really cool moments with the kids these past couple of days and weeks as we've all kind of been fighting this Omicron variant. Uh, The downside is my parents haven't been able to see the kids, but uh, that time is uh, slowly coming in as well because they will be clear by next week too. So uh, we're all going to be able to get back together At least that's what the uh, doctors and the medical professionals are telling us. Believe what you want to believe. I I talked about this last time. There's a whole host of information out there. I'm not saying it's misinformation. I I just think it's a lot of different types of information that are being presented about COVID, especially right now. Whether you have the vaccine, you don't have the vaccine, you're getting it. How many days do you stay in isolation? How many days are you... um, able to pass this on to other people? Um, How many days will you continue to test positive after initial infection? The contagious part of it, I mean, it's everywhere, all over the map, and it's really frustrating to people. But as my my case, I'm feeling fine. Um, My voice is a lot better. I was a little stuffed up last time, but I'm feeling fine. I'm feeling good. We're all feeling good in the family. So I appreciate all the messages that I've gotten over the last couple of days since I kind of came out publicly with this whole thing. So I I appreciate that, but uh, we're all doing good. Everybody's fine. My wife is running the Houston Half Marathon this weekend, so she's feeling great. It's going to be 25 degrees. It feels like 25 degrees. It'll be in the 30s this weekend, so God bless her. She's a superhero. I love her for everything that she does. So she's going to be running the Half Marathon this weekend, so I will be out there. not going to take the kids. It's going to be too cold, but I'm going to be out there holding some kind of a sign. I think. I'm not sure what we're going to do. Maybe uh, come up with something to surprise her. Hopefully she doesn't listen to this podcast. She usually doesn't. So I'm fine in saying that sort of stuff. But uh, good luck to all the racers this weekend. Everybody running the marathon. The 5K, I think, is coming up this weekend. And the, uh, the, 
half marathon. So uh, you guys are awesome. 5Ks are more my jam. I got a back issue. I can't really run long distances. At least that's the excuse that I, uh, I use pretty much. Uh, but, you know, I did tell my wife the other day, I, I hope to... I hope to get to myself because I've been doing some workouts. I, I chronicled that last year. I was really into my workouts. I was feeling really good. Then I had a really bad setback with my back, and I've talked about my back issues before. Um, but, you know, I kind of want to get to a place this year that I I, I kind of feel better to maybe even try a half marathon. Who knows? I, maybe that's a crazy thought, and I'll probably just quit and chicken out at the last minute. But, uh Anyway, uh, good luck to all you guys. Uh, but the topic at hand today, the Texans firing David Cully. So the Texans moving on from Cully after one year. We'll have Mike Meltzer coming up here, sports radio personality. He was at Sports Radio 610 for a long time. You can hear him on Mad Dog Radio now. Still does fantastic work. He's going to be my guest a little bit later after I give my initial thoughts on David Cully being fired by the Texans. And my initial thoughts are this. Look, um... I host a Facebook segment every week now about Ask Me Anything, and people can fire away questions, and it ranges the gamut from sports topics to whether I like mustard or mayonnaise, how to pronounce words. Some political questions are in there. I don't touch those. But um, a lot of questions were about the future of David Cully and what do I think the Texans should do. I thought, I personally thought they should have kept him around. He's not going to be the coach of the future, Okay. We, we can all acknowledge that point. He, he, he was a bridge coach. He was hired here to get them going on this rebuild. I thought they would give him at least another year, given some of the improvements that we saw towards the end of the season when it comes to some of the personnel. I thought the move they needed to make, which they did make, was fire Tim Kelly as offensive coordinator. I thought he was pretty inept most of the season. His play calling was very dry. It was very bland. It was very boring. And uh, sure, Davis Mills grew a little bit in that offense, but I thought Tim Kelly, they shouldn't have kept him last year. I thought that was a huge mistake. But um, I, I think that was the right move. But I thought they should have kept David Kelly. And as what we've learned over the past 24 hours is that Nick Casario coming out, saying that there were philosophical differences between David Cully and Nick Casario, which is why the decision was made to move on from him. In fact, I'm going to let Casario say his part about why they decided to move on from David Cully. These were his initial statements in his press conference that he had Friday, the day after he fired Cully. Here we go. Yeah, we hired David because we thought he was the best fit for the Houston Texans organization at the time, and I still feel that way. So, again, this is, a, I would say, a year-to-year endeavor and what we do. So each year is its own entity. You kind of have to look at it in its own bucket. And we made a commitment to David because we thought and we felt that he was the best coach for our organization at that time, and we still feel that way. So, again, my responsibility organizationally in the position I'm in is to assess everything in detail from top to bottom from coaching to players to our operation, whatever it is that we do. So, again, that's not going to change. It's not going to change today. It's not going to change next year. So whether it's one year, two years, four years, five years, whatever it is, my responsibility is to, at the end of the season, at the end of the year, evaluate everything and make the decision I feel is best for, you know, McNair family, Houston, Texas organization, and we're going to continue to do that. That's not going to change. I like David Cully as a person. There were obviously some issues that prop that popped up during the season, right? Uh, the way he handled some of the veterans on the team. Now, 
I still believe that that wasn't his call. Some of the things that were made in suspending Justin Reed, suspending Zach Cunningham, Charles Menehue, some of these guys that the fan base actually knew were a part of this team, they were the ones that bore the brunt of culture suspensions, right? And building a new culture. Casario loves talking about that. Easterby is all about building a culture. Cully was talking about building a culture. And I think that's what it all comes down to, right? I really believe, now that all is said and done, that David Cully was brought in to lay the foundation of some semblance of a culture that they want to build. Cully is a personable guy. If you hear the players talk about him, they liked him. A lot of the guys came out earlier this week and were hoping that he'd get a second year. They all understood that this was a business and that, you know, there was a possibility that Cully would not be back. David Cully himself understood that, that there was a possibility that it was, he wasn't going to be back. But I, I think the problem with all of this also, it shows the dysfunction within the Texans organization as a whole. There is serious dysfunction here. If you thought that you were going to fire David Cully, you do not send David Cully out for a press conference three days prior for him to talk about how he grew on the job and how he was looking forward to growing even more in this job next year. Okay? That's poor management. That is that is that projects a sign of weakness that there really is instability going on within the franchise. Casario said otherwise today. He said that they've done some good things behind the scenes. And he acknowledged that when he got here, it was a mess. It was not in a good situation. He had to really start from scratch, start from the bottom up. He brought in Cully. He thought that that was a good culture hire. But he also acknowledged there were things on the field that weren't as good. And while he didn't elaborate on the philosophical differences there have been reports that David Cully wanted to retain his staff, which many of which many of them he didn't even pick, which is another issue we've talked about before. He wanted to retain his staff. Casario saw it otherwise. He wanted to make changes, so they decided to move on into a different direction. I think Casario saw what's going on in the coaching landscape and the coaching marketplace. The Dolphins fire fire Brian Flores. He's a Patriots guy. He knows Casario from the New England days. Gerard Mayo, linebacker, uh, former NFL linebacker. He knows Casario. He's a young, up-and-coming name. He is apparently now the favorite to be the coach of the uh, of the Houston Texans. I, I think he saw a situation where, oh, my goodness, I might be able to pick off one of these guys that I'm interested in. Eventually, why not make the move right now, get a head start on things so he can get at least a year under his belt before we really, really start putting in the pieces in this thing on the field to win. I think that's where they are as a franchise as a whole, that they saw David Cully, and they they probably could have kept Cully if the situation with other candidates didn't prove out to be something that was developing fast. Like, it was a fast-developing situation with other guys that, that Casario thought, okay, well, I, I, I better get on this. David, thank you for your assistance. Thank you for the help. We're just going to pay you a bunch of money to go away, but we're going to bring in the guy right now. And I think that's where they're at. I don't think they're going to win next year. I think Davis Mills is going to be the quarterback. In fact, Casario didn't even commit to bringing back Lovey Smith as defensive coordinator, who I thought did a you know a decent job for what it was, top 10 in takeovers, takeaways, I should say. 
Turnovers, I thought he did a nice job. He wouldn't commit to keep him on. He uh, was impressed by Davis Mills. He didn't commit to have him be the starting quarterback next year, which you kind of understand. But, you know, there are the signs there, and it's obvious that he should be the starter next year as they continue to build this thing to try to figure out and see what they have in Davis Mills. Um, And he also, I thought this was very interesting, he – unprompted, unsolicited, and I'm going to ask Mike Meltzer about this, which I thought was fascinating. He even went ahead and said that they might trade out of the number three pick overall coming up to just to acquire more assets. And nobody asked him about that. He just unsolicited said, oh, yeah, and about the draft coming up, we have a third pick, and whether we stay at that pick is – I thought that was interesting that he he brought that up on his own. But anyway, enough about me, enough from me, I should say. Let's get right into the interview. Mike Meltzer joining me now to talk about Texans, the future of the franchise, why they fired David Culley in his opinion, and what exactly is going on over there off Kirby. Mike, always a pleasure to talk to you. I guess today is a first because I never thought I would think the Houston Texans would be in the same conversation as uh, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, and Google <laughs> – but here we are. Nick Casario's press conference today was uh, interesting. Not a lot said. What are your thoughts? I thought he laid the groundwork to have the Texans hire somebody who is a young assistant coach. Gerard Mayo is the one that comes to mind. I'm always intrigued, Daniel, by what a football executive or a coach, in this case, an executive, like what they're willing to say sort of unprompted versus them just kind of reacting to a question. And so I thought when Nick Casario was talking about organizations and he was talking about Mike Tomlin, like off the top of his head, he was like, you know, you look at the Steelers and they've gone from Chuck to Bill to Mike. And it's been, you know, 30, 40 years. Mike Tomlin was hired after a year of being a coordinator. And he was hired at, I think, the age of 31. That was Nick Casario, what he said, and how he's had all the success since. I'm like, man, for someone who says a lot of words without saying a whole lot, I thought that was like a pretty specific citation, if you will, going back to how the Steelers have run things and how they hired Mike Tomlin. And it made me think that this next Texans hire is going to be kind of in that same mold. That was my single biggest takeaway. Well, since you brought up unsolicited moments, I thought the uh, the part where he brought up the third overall pick and whether or not he's going to stay there or trade it away from it. I thought that was interesting. Unprompted. He just brought it up and he just, kind of threw that nugget out there. I thought that was interesting too. I think you are absolutely right. Uh, I noticed the same thing. I think that one, uh, yeah, I mean, he basically saying (laughs) whether or not we stay at three, that's a whole separate discussion. Nobody asked about it. Nobody would even think to ask about it, I think in the middle of January, right? Um, I think that's just kind of, you know, putting a little uh, balloons to kind of test the waters. And when you look at the Patriots drafting history, they have a, a tendency to trade down at times and accumulate more draft picks. And so I don't know that it means the Texans will trade down, but I think given the overall state of sort of the the roster and the fact that a lot of people feel like there might be two sort of elite players in this draft, maybe, and they might go one and two in Aiden Hutchinson and Kayvon Thibodeau that kind of just laying the groundwork. Like, like, Hey, I know we've got number three, but you know, we're kind of open for business, which they always are, but it's, it's just, it's just interesting that he, he put it out there in this kind of news conference. So before we get into moving forward with the organization, I, let's go back to yesterday, which you know turns out to be a pretty interesting day in Houston sports now. Three straight years, we've had something happen on January 13th. 
Uh, the Astros firing everybody <laughs> two years ago. Then last year, the Rockets trading James Harden. Now they fire David Cully. Um, I'm sure you're not surprised that they fired David Cully, uh, but I, I actually thought they were going to keep him at least one more year. If you talked to me, Daniel, a week ago, I would have said, yeah, I think they're going to keep him for 2022. I think once we got into the weekend and Jay Glazer said, well, we're not really sure about the Cully situation. And John McClain reported Sunday morning, he tweeted, well, you know, I don't be surprised basically if uh, Nick Casario and Jack Easterby only give David Cully a year. I thought, well, boy, that's a real change in tone from the last week, which indicates like I think something's going on. And I think the last couple of days uh, made me feel like, okay, why are you waiting to do this evaluation, taking this extra time? I feel like it's just a matter of time. Uh, And I think your question was basically, you know, basically, was I surprised? I was not surprised by this decision. Um, I'm kind of in a weird place. And I think a lot of people, Daniel, are in that I'm skeptical of the overall direction of the organization and especially what's gone on the last couple of years. And yet at the same time, I think any game they played with David Cully was more or less a waste of time in the sense that without being an ageist, David Cully is 66 years old. This is a massive rebuild that they are a year into. I just think based on age, based on trajectory, I never thought David Cully was ever going to coach a game that mattered in Houston. So from that standpoint, I didn't like the hire to begin with. So I can't really criticize the actual hot, the, the actual firing because I think they're going to hire who their actual guy is. I just thought that they would give him another year to see what the development of Davis Mills would look like. I, I thought Tim Kelly, yes, that was probably a, a, the right move to move on from Tim Kelly. And there were at times this year that the offense was just a complete disaster. But I thought that, you know, given Davis Mills and his continued development, you at least keep Cully around for one more year. And if that doesn't really pan out, the quarterback class in 2023 is a lot better Then you can get your guy. But I feel like there were coaching uh, prospects that were made available now that prompted a move like this. That's kind of where I'm at. That's kind of how I feel about it. I think that if they were to have kept Cully for another year, it would probably be under their theory of like, okay, we need another year to kind of fully clear the decks. But it sounded, Daniel, today, like what Nick Casario was saying, talking about how, well, frankly, we were in a pretty rough spot a year ago. Now they've got their draft picks. They have some cap space. uh, They have some young players. And so, you know, next year is more of a pure rebuild as opposed to 2021, which is always going to be a complete clearing of the decks unless Deshaun Watson somehow decided to return. And yeah, I think it's ultimately what you said, which is they feel like they have a good chance, it sounds like, to get whoever their guy is. And so at that point, they feel like, well, why why just wait? Why not do it right now? It sounded like more so now, we all believed it, but David Cully was a, a culture builder. Like, they, they love the word culture over there off Kirby. And, you know, give him, he had faults, obviously, in-game situations and scenarios didn't really work out the way he handled some veterans and all that. But the one thing you could say about the guy is he always brought a lot of positive energy, and maybe that's exactly what they just needed at the ground level of this rebuild. Start that culture with some of the younger players. Yeah, I, I think I mean, it, it's such a it's such a bizarre situation that it almost makes it challenging to analyze in that I wonder, like, who am I supposed to blame? Like, ultimately, my blame goes to Easterby and really. But even beyond that, like it goes to Cal, like it's his organization. It's Cal's organization. And so 
let's say, Daniel, going back, this is why it makes it hard for people like myself to evaluate. A year ago, I believe they had multiple head coaches turn them down, or sorry, multiple prospective head coaches say, I don't want the job. So who should I blame for that? Well, I should blame Cal, of course, for, you know, having that situation. But I don't know if I can blame Nick Casario for it because once he's, once he's there, like, what is he supposed to do? Uh, maybe in hindsight, would it have made more sense to say, okay, we're being turned down by a lot of people. Let's do something wacky like have Tim Kelly as the coach for a year or two because he's so young that, like, screw it. We may find something here. Um, and so it makes something like – Hiring Cully hard to analyze because on one hand, I'm watching this press conference today and it's like, well, what were you guys saying a year ago? And Casario has to sit up there and say like, yeah, you know, we thought that Cully might be a long-term solution when nobody really believes that. And so it's just hard for me to like really pin the blame on Casario and, and evaluate the questions like, well, how much blame should Nick Casario get for hiring David Cully? Did he blow this hire? It makes the situation, Daniel, is so weird because if Casario couldn't get anybody last year, do I blame him? Because it's not really Casario whose fault it is. It's the Watson situation, which is exacerbated by what Cal has done and not done over the last, you know, 16 months or so. I agree. And I think it's little things like we saw this week. In no way should they have let David Cully speak on a Monday. You had to have known inside your organization Agreed. that this was a possibility. Why let the man go out there, talk about learning on the job, talk about improving going into next year when you knew there was a chance that he was going to be fired. I mean, that I think points to overall dysfunction within the organization, even though Casario was trying to spin it in a way that they've done some good things. Yeah. And I don't know that anybody asked him Daniel today specifically about the timing of the firing, uh, I think that would have been a worth it. I think the media's questions today were, were pretty good by and large. Um, but I, I think that should have been asked, like, why wait until Thursday to make this decision? Like, did you genuinely not know on Monday whether David Cully should stick around? That is the only thing, the one part that I feel bad for Cully about. I don't feel bad about the overall situation myself because I don't think he would have gotten anywhere near this kind of job in normal circumstances. But to let him basically flail around for four days, I thought was unnecessary. To me, it's a simple evaluation. Do you have your guy? Do you not fire him Sunday night or Monday morning? That is how I would have done it. So moving forward, Brian Flores is a guy that everybody talks about. You brought up Gerard Mayo. Um, which way do you think they go here? Are you are you still leaning Mayo? I would lean Mayo, and for some reason, I've always I, – I, I'm curious your view on this, but with, when it comes to Brian Flores, so obviously there's the Patriots highs, and Casario and Flores know each other. There are reports that Easterby and Flores apparently have a good relationship, whatever that might mean. I just I, – I don't know if I see it for some reason. Like, I don't know if someone like Brian Flores is going to leap at this opportunity – uh, as his second head coaching job, you know, he's somebody that he, he frankly sounds, and I, I, I actually don't mean this in a negative way. I mean this in an observational way. Flores seems like a defensive version of, of Bill O'Brien. Like I, I think now he might be a better coach. Maybe he's likely a better coach. Fine. But, and I think Flores did a good job the last three years at the same time, 
you look at some of the organizational dysfunction in Miami, him versus Chris Greer, the fact that Flores seemed to have no real concept of what he wanted to do offensively. He had three different offensive coordinators in three years. I think he had co-offensive coordinators. And I just don't know if I see, I mean, maybe I'll be totally wrong and in a couple of days. I'll feel like, well, I got this one wrong. I just think the idea of like Flores going into this situation where you don't have as much control, even if it's guys he trusts and is aligned with, I just don't know that I see it. I think it's more of a job for someone who they think is Flores is young, but someone who's even younger, who is on the ascent and who is not a second time head coach. That's just my, that's my feeling on Friday afternoon. Yeah, I can see that. I, I, the one thing, and maybe it's just pie in the sky thinking, or I, I don't even know it's possible. Deshaun Watson always said he wanted to go to Miami because he thought it would be a good place for him, not just to play, but to play for Brian Flores. I think that was the, those were the reports that had come out. I just, I wonder what conversations behind the scenes would be like. Maybe Deshaun's just done. He didn't want to play for McNair and the McNair family. Easterby's there. Maybe he's just finished. But I, I think it would be an interesting dynamic to just kind of be a fly on the wall in discussions that are held beho- behind closed doors with this whole coaching process. If there is a hope and a prayer that Deshaun changes course and decides to stay, he's under contract. I mean, hell, yes. he, he could still be here and play. I think the hard thing is I do think that the Deshaun fracture uh, really comes down to him versus Cal McNair. And as we know, you can't fire the owner. And I also wonder practically, like, in this imaginary world where the Texans hire Brian Flores, he somehow convinces Deshaun to come back. Like, how does Deshaun explain the last year? Um, Like, we all want to see great quarterback play, and I I still think Deshaun is a a great quarterback. I do. I believe that. But, like, no matter what reasons, whether he is right, wrong, tremendously right, horribly wrong, somewhere in the middle, like, he did quit on the team. (laughs) I mean, I'm just saying. You're right. Again. I mean, he, I mean, he's walking in there either every day during training camp or at some point during the season. And like those guys are playing games on 17 Sundays and he's not there with them. And I understand that players are very replaceable, particularly on this roster, but how would Deshaun explain that to the players, to people in the building uh, publicly? I just don't know how practically like how that would work. Yeah. Maybe it's a crazy hypothetical that I thought of, but somebody, you know, it was, I was talking well, to people are speculating that. on yeah, it. Yeah, so. I know. <laughs> um, the other thing that I found interesting, too, about this whole thing was the question when Nick Casario was asked about his role in the booth with the headset moving forward. Um, it sounds like that's a pretty important thing for him to be a part of. He says it, it, he I think he even brought up what were the terms that he used? He said, you know, that's the way I was brought up within the Patriots mm-hmm. organization. I want to I want to be useful. It sounds like he wants to do that. And I don't think a guy that has had a coaching experience, even though they have a prior relationship like Flores, would want that to be. I just think that whole thing is really weird. A GM on headset during games. That's all very bizarre to me. I wanted to hear your thoughts on it. It it is odd. And I know people like Albert Breer of SI have pointed out, hey, Nick Casario was on the headset uh, in New England. And I think other people have pointed out, like Mike Florio, Pro Football Talk, well, Nick Casario in New England on headset is a different dynamic than Nick Casario on headset here because in New England, you know, he's there to kind of listen and support. But ultimately, we know Belichick's making those final calls. Whereas in Houston, right or wrong, it feels like this is a top-down organization where the GM is more important than the head coach. We'll see if it works for him. And if I'm the head coach, like, 
do I definitely have to take the advice or recommendations of Casario when he's on headset? Um, and, and I'm not even going into Daniel, like the, the deep substance of, I, I, I get the sense, like looking at Nick Casario and his background, like I'm sure he has a pretty good sense of game management and analytics. Like the, the whole example in the Patriots game where Casario and I guess Romeo said, Hey, you should let them score. And it didn't compute for David Cully, whatever that means. Uh, they were right about that. Like Nick Casario and I guess Romeo were correct on that. But I, I guess even if someone is, is good at something, is it the right situation to set up that kind of situation from the standpoint of how much authority are you giving your head coach? Like there's a part of me, Daniel, that wonders, I mean, do they think that Nick Casario is so great at his job that he's going to be able to be the GM and be on the field during training camp and be on headset. Like I think Nick Casario is super qualified and has legitimate, you know, qualifications for this job. But when you're asking someone to do so many things, I don't know that that's going to necessarily work. I just think it creates a weird dynamic. It's that over the shoulder, someone right here all the time. I mean, if you're hiring someone to be your head coach, you feel like you should trust that person in building the organization that you can help them. But I mean, just being there every single moment of every game, I just think that that's a really hard dynamic to sell to coaching candidates. Now you may get a guy like Mayo who's up and coming and it's nice and he wants a head coaching position, maybe like Cully, it's the same deal, except Cully was not qualified for it. Maybe Mayo is, maybe he'll take the job. He doesn't care, he wants a head coaching position. I just think other guys that have been around the league and have had positions like this are gonna be like, nah, no, that ain't for me, chief. Yes, and then you have this dynamic where, okay, if someone sits down with the Texans for an interview, are they allowed to say, hey, Nick, I don't want you on headset during the game? Or, as you mentioned, Daniel, are the people interviewing with the Texans already coming in with the knowledge of, yeah, this is how it's going to be. Nick Casario is going to be on headset, and I'm taking this interview because I know what the deal is. I think that's where the problem with the Texans franchise lies. There's a lot of dysfunction. There's the cloud of Easterby hanging over it. There is this lack of belief and this lack of faith in Cal McNair as an owner moving forward once Bob passed away. Like there are so many uncertainties about the front office and the people that are running this thing that that, in my estimation, is going to really hold back the on-field product. Yeah, and I would I would love to know just what, I mean, we'll obviously find out in the next couple of days or week or so. If you're Gerard Mayo evaluating this opportunity, what do you truly think? And how is Nick Casario selling you on this? Because Mayo, whether this offseason or the next couple, I think is going to have, assuming things continue to go well in New England, he's going to have head coaching opportunities. What does he think of this situation? I mean, I, I'm sure he knows, okay, Watson's going to get traded. Casario probably has telegraphed like, hey, here's what the compensation we think will look like. Um, they'll give an evaluation of Davis Mills. But if I'm Gerard Mayo uh, going in, like I have to feel like this is a – I have a chance to build something long-term. One thing I really, one thing I, I fundamentally disagreed with Nick Casario on today, Daniel, is like this whole thing about firing David Cully and how it's a year-to-year -year league. That's nonsense. Like, they, like if anybody agrees with that, like that, that's a fundamentally wrong way to build an organization. This is why Dan Campbell was kept as the Lions coach because there's no issue. Like this is why Robert Sala was kept. It's not a year-to-year -year league. Like you can't, you can't operate day to day and year to year. I understand these like Ted talk people and such. They're always like, Oh, you got to focus on the day to day. And, and I get that, 
Like there's something to that. But when it comes to building a franchise long-term and looking at where the Texans were a year ago, you can't operate year to year. It's obvious they're not operating year to year. They gave Casario this massive contract for like six years or whatever it is. Like operating year to year in this environment would be ridiculous. Like I, I, I nobody can honestly believe that. No, I don't think so. It just goes back to the whole conversation too in college coaching as well. All these programs get really mad, hot and bothered by the fact, oh, we just didn't win immediately. You have to give people a chance. You have to give people a chance. And I mean, at the end of the day, they're human beings, right? They have careers. All these coaching candidates have careers already that they feel pretty good about and they would probably stay there and those teams would keep them. And they, they have to make a commitment to a franchise and they have to feel good about where it's going. And I really do think that's where the problem lies because I think they have so many issues behind the scenes. That Easterby situation is unresolved, and I don't think it's going to be resolved anytime soon. And that, I think, is a huge problem. Yes. Now, one positive that I have, and this is something that Aaron Reese wrote in The Athletic that Rivers McCann wrote on, on, on his site. The good thing about the last 24 hours, Daniel, is that now the clock has started on the Texans. Now they will be the people in charge, and that includes Jack Easterby. Easterby, Nick Casario, any, anybody else who's high up in the front office. The clock is now ticking. Now it's not ticking down. It's starting to tick. You don't get chances to hire you know, head coach after head coach after head coach. This is now number two for Nick Casario. And now once they hire their guy, whether it's Gerard Mayo, Brian Flores, D'Amico Ryan, somebody we're not even thinking about, they're going to start to be evaluated based on results. The Cully thing was weird because it's like, am I truly going to evaluate these guys based on David Cully in this bizarre 2021 season? Like, I don't know if this actually really counts. Like, it sort of does because they play. But, you know, you know, you know the spirit of what I'm saying. Now they hire their next coach, and now it starts counting. And I don't know when Cal McNair expects to make the playoffs. It ain't going to be in 2022. I think 2023 would be a stretch. But, like... By the end of 2024, and I know that's, you know, three years away, they better have made significant progress. Otherwise, I think everyone gets fired because even with the Texans and how patient they are with some people, not David Culley, but Gary Kubiak, Rick Smith, who was here for 11 years, like eventually you do have to win and win in the postseason. And I think this is when the clock has started ticking on Nick Casario because whoever he brings in, I believe, will be the guy for him. Thank you, Mike. Always a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, if you haven't caught him on uh, Mad Dog Radio, go ahead and do that. Follow him on Twitter as well. He's a great follow. And uh, as I told you before, he's 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 great when it comes to these matters and offering different type of insights. So I appreciate Mike. Uh, doing that for me and joining me on this podcast episode. So thank you very much to Mike Meltzer. All right, before we go, uh, the NFL playoffs start this week, and uh, I might as well give you the picks that I have uh, moving forward uh, from this Super AFC Divisional Wild Card. I don't know what they're, what they're calling it now. Is it Super Wild Card Weekend? Yes, Super Wild Card Weekend. So here's the schedule that we've got. I'm going to go in order from games. Uh, All right, so Saturday, the afternoon spot on Saturday that's usually reserved for Texans playoff games, right? We've gotten used to the Texans playing on Saturday when they host playoff games. That's going to be the Raiders and the Bengals. Raiders coming off of that crazy win over the Chargers. I didn't even talk about that this week, but that was absolutely wild. 
the Chargers coach should have been fired on the plane home. He called that timeout. was ridiculous. I don't want to relitigate that, but that coach should be fired. He should be nowhere around that team, by the way. Anyway, Raiders win. They get into the playoffs. That meant the Steelers got in, too. Raiders-Bengals, first game of playoff weekend number one. I'm going to go with the Bengals. They're at home. They're playing well. Uh, Joe Burrow, MVP candidate by some. I don't think he's going to win it, but I, you know, some people have him up there. So I think the Bengals at home, there's going to be a lot of excitement there for that game. And while David Carr, David Carr, Derek Carr has had a nice year, and that Raiders team has really come back late after a, uh, a really down stretch where they lost their coach. A new interim was brought in. They were able to win three or four straight to get into the playoffs. I thought that was pretty impressive. So, um, yeah, I'm going to go with the Bengals, though, winning that game. Next game tomorrow night, uh, Patriots at Bills. going to be a fun game for sure. But because it's in Buffalo, I'm going to go with the Bills. That atmosphere is going to be exciting. So two home games, two home teams winning their home games, Bengals and Bills on Saturday. Let's go with the next round on Sunday. The early game is Eagles at Buccaneers. I'm going with Tampa. Can't go against Tom Brady in the first round, especially against an Eagles team, which is okay, but I don't think they're ready for this stage. So Tampa Bay over the Eagles. I'm going Cowboys over the 49ers because they're at home. If it was the other way around, I think that game would be close. Cowboys at home. Chiefs and Steelers, I think this is going to be a blowout. Uh, Chiefs win this easily. And Cardinals and Rams on Monday night. Boy, I'm excited there's Monday night playoff football. That's going to be great. As much as I want J.J. to win a, a championship, and, boy, I'm so glad that he's back. It looks like he's going to play. That's what J.J. does. People are surprised. Oh, my gosh, didn't you have a season-ending? No, 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 that's not what he does. He comes back. He rehabs hard. And we've seen it with the Texans. He did it when he was here to get back into the playoffs and play for the Texans when he was in Houston. As much as I want him to win, as much as I'm rooting for that Cardinals team, i got to go with the Rams at home. Um, so I'm picking all home teams to win this weekend. I think the Rams the Rams are my pick to go to the Super Bowl. I think it's going to be a Chiefs-Rams Super Bowl. I think the Rams' defense is going to be really good. They're going to be able to bottle up Kyler Murray uh, in a pretty big way. So I'm going the Rams. So all home teams win this weekend. I hope it's a fun viewing experience. Hope you have some good games, not blowouts like we saw in the college football semifinals. Boy, that national championship was fun there for a while, though. Anyway, hope you guys have a great weekend. Good luck to all the marathon runners. I should be back on Monday fully ready to go off of my COVID quarantine, and I'm excited to say that. I will talk to you guys then on Monday to recap the weekend and see what happened and maybe have another guest. I still have that Sean Merriman interview. Oh, my God, I haven't done that yet. But I will bring that to you next week, I promise. Until I talk to you next time, have a good one. See you later.